0: You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, the podcast that celebrates the cultural connections between the UK and New York. I'm your host, British diplomat Hannah Young, and every week I'll be talking to a British leader in the arts and culture sector, living and working here in New York. I explore their journey to the Big Apple, their interests and insights, and the cultural connections between the city and the UK. My guest today is Rebecca Lowe, a television presenter and anchor on NBC and NBC Sports. Rebecca has previously worked at the BBC, Satanta Sports and ESPN. Whilst at the BBC, Rebecca reported from a top Premier League match every Saturday and was the presenter of a Football in the Community feature every Sunday morning on Match of the Day. Rebecca continued her football presenting and reporting at Satanta Sport, co-hosting their coverage of the football conference, as well as the Premier League. At ESPN, she helped launch a new UK sports channel and co-hosted their Premier League football coverage, including becoming the first woman to host the FA Cup final, presenting a seven hour broadcast pitch side between Chelsea and Liverpool. In 2013, NBC Sports brought Rebecca in to serve as the lead studio host for its coverage of the Premier League in the US. And in the same year, she was named Newcomer of the Year by Sports Illustrated in their annual media awards. She's also the daytime host at NBC for all coverage of both Summer and Winter Olympic Games, including most recently in Tokyo, as a fellow football enthusiast, I'm delighted to welcome Rebecca onto the podcast. Though, as a lifelong Watford fan, I might skirt around her
1: passion for Crystal Palace. <laughs> Rebecca, welcome. Hi, Hannah. Lovely to lovely to see you. Lovely to speak to you. Yeah, we don't have to talk about Palace or Watford for that matter.
0: <laughs> well, I'm very happy to, obviously, but uh, you know, you could have chosen a better team. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it takes one to know one
0: <laughs> <laughs> pots and kettles right it would be great if you could kick off by telling us a little bit about your career journey so far and and what brought you to the US
1: well, your introduction there was, was pretty spot on. I, um, I left university in 2002, but my ambition was to be an actress. My mum was an actress, and that's what I trained to do at university in Norwich. I, I studied drama, and I had a very good friend, and the two of us were going to launch ourselves as the newest... French and Saunders of 2002. She was actually a year younger than me. So I said, don't worry, Lucy, I'll graduate and I'll get us an agent because obviously it's going to be really easy to do that. And once you graduate next year, we'll have the agent, we'll be good to go. We're going to be an absolute raving success. In the final days of my degree, Lucy brought to me a, a, a pamphlet, which was a BBC talent uh, pamphlet which she had picked up in the Virgin megastore Hannah this is how long ago this is yes and it was a it was a scheme that i suppose younger listeners would only could only really imagine it to be a little bit like an untelevised x factor so it wasn't on tv but it was a search for new talent in all different areas of the bbc and anyone listening who's american understands must understand that the BBC is not just television, it's radio, it's website, it's regional, it's national, it's international. It's got everything within it. So they were looking for a new weather reporter, they were looking for a new sports reporter, they were looking for a new um cast of a BBC sitcom. And it was the cast of the sitcom that my friend Lucy and I thought we would totally get And so we should definitely audition for this. And then she said to me, oh, look on the back of the leaflet. They're they're looking for a search for a football reporter. You love football, why don't you apply? And I thought, well, no, I mean, I'm a girl, I'm a woman. I mean, it's 2002, they're not gonna want a woman talking about football. Then I thought, well, I suppose I'm quite unusual how much I love football. I Might as well just apply because why not? So when I do something, Hannah, I'd do something. So it was a 12-page application form. I went to town, fully detailed, everything I had to do, you know, I gave it in, gave it my best shot, sent it off, forgot all about it. Meanwhile, Lucy and I went to audition for this new sitcom and lo and behold, didn't get it. Um, And I graduated, went to work for Talk Sport Radio, making tea, answering the phone. She carried on at college. In the October of the first, my first year outside of graduation, so four months after graduating, I get a, a, a letter dropped through my parents' door from the BBC saying, you're through to the next round. And I thought, of oh, what? And then I realized, oh yeah, that thing I applied for four months ago. My goodness, they're taking their time. Long story short, went through a number of rounds, including a final at BBC Television Centre in London. And I won it. Wow. And it was a six month contract as a football reporter on Match of the Day, Football Focus uh, and Grandstand. And it was one of those moments where a real, it, I've had two moments in my life, lucky enough to have had two, where my whole life hinges. It's, it's completely humongous. And there was no way I was turning that down. I mean, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I wasn't a journalist. I, I absolutely wasn't a broadcaster. I just wanted to be an actress. But how do you turn down a contract with the BBC? So I accepted it and I said to Lucy, Lucy, don't worry, everything's fine. It's a six month contract. I'm sure I'll be rubbish at it. And then you and I will become French and saunders next summer. Um, 20, nearly 20 years later, and I'm still doing this job. And poor old Lucy, um, not, uh, not doing acting at all now, although she did for a little while. Um, so that's kind of how it really all started. And as you say, the BBC for about five years, Satanta Sports was a big move for me because it was a startup broadcasting company, but I felt I'd reached my peak at the BBC. I wasn't getting the jobs I wanted to get. I was hitting the ceiling. It was a different time, 2007. The women in sports push hadn't really happened yet. We were trying, but the big decision makers at the BBC, Sky, ITV were not yet willing to let lots of women through. If they had one woman, they were fine. Mm. They certainly didn't need two. So I felt like Gabby Logan, and I, really that was about it when I was was I was coming through, they weren't gonna push me. So I decided to go to Satanta Sports, which was a sideways slash downward step in some ways, in terms of size of company, But in terms of what I was doing, it allowed me to be more me and really test myself. That lasted two years. Then they went bust, which was one of those moments in life where that was not fun. Uh, lost my job. But then ESPN UK picked up the Premier League rights and picked me up for a four-year deal. I went and did that. And that really catapulted my career forwards, the FA Cup final for example, a number of other moments. And then I got the second moment in my life where I I almost fell off my chair, was when my agent called me in the uh, autumn of 2012 and said, "Um, are you sitting down? And I said, yes. And he said, NBC are flying me to New York. They would like you to be the face of the Premier League coverage starting next summer. And Hannah, what? I was like, "What? hang on, do they mean pitch side reporter from London? He said, no, 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 you're gonna move to America. And that's the way it's going to be. And I was like, okay. And I did. And in 2013, I moved to the States. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm still here nine years on. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's incredible. And
0: I have so many questions, um, <laughs> <laughs> including I'm glad you, cut, you um, covered off what happened to Lucy. Because uh, that was going to be one of my first ones. Um, uh, but how did you how did you get into sport and football initially? Is it, is it a family pastime? Did you play it? Where's your love come from?
1: I didn't play it. Uh, it's not like these days. There was no football available for girls to play in the 90s or the 80s. Um, I, my dad took me when I was about nine to a Crystal Palace game. And he must have had a spare ticket. He can barely remember it. But I think he probably tried everybody. And then he was like, well, oh, Rebecca, what are you doing? Are you busy? And I was like nine years old. I'm like, no, I'll come. And there I was. Dad, dad you know, 1989. Dad probably thought, well, she's going to hate it. This is going to be a nightmare. And I just remember sitting there thinking well, this is, this is cool. And from that moment on, it kind of got into my blood and I never, obviously didn't change my team. I'm still a Palace fan now. And I was such a minority. It was me and my best friend growing up in my teenage years. Every time at school, there was a own clothes day. I would wear my Crystal Palace shirt or my England shirt. And it was, so I'm looking back now. I was such a like an odd one out But at the time my passion for football was so overwhelming. I didn't feel weird But I suppose looking back on it now. I was I mean talk about sticking out like a sore thumb. It was it was Yeah, very unusual. So but playing it. No, but sport in my family has always been a big deal. So um, Yeah, it, we're a sporty family and it was my dad who took me and that's really sparked the love Mm,
0: i i can really empathize actually because i think my first game at watford was when my dad took me at a similar age six or seven and i mean initially i remember he would give me 50p to go to the local corner shop to buy sweets for half time which i have to say was the spur that kind of kept me going oh. and i had a brief without well, that. that, that, that. Yeah and I was going to say um, unlike you uh, I shouldn't really admit this but I had a brief flirtation with Newcastle United when I got obsessed about Biker Grove for about a year <laughs> and my dad cultivated that he even took me up to the Stadium of Light a couple of games but um, but no then we um, then I went back to Watford and reverted back so. Um, That's funny. <laughs> um, and And talk about moving to the US which as you say was one of those career pivoting moments but what were you excited about? What were you nervous about? What,
1: what did you find that was different to what you might
0: have expected?
1: Well, the problem was I just got engaged and my husband was the manager of Luton Town at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what are we going to do with this situation? And for about five minutes, we discussed living apart, right? I'll move to America. You're here. It'll be fine. We'll make it work. And after about five minutes, he said to me, that's not happening. I'm going to resign. And I was just like, "Oh my God, are you serious? You're going to resign?" So he did. He resigned, um, and which was, you know, incredible. Luton were doing really well, and he was doing brilliantly. He'd been a manager for ten years, and he and had been a former player before that. And he was his career was going from strength to strength. So for him to do that for me uh, was incredible. So at least I didn't have that to worry about. So we were going as a team. Um, I guess I was nervous to leave the industry in England because it was a three year contract with NBC and what if I got forgotten and what if NBC either lost the broadcast rights after that three years or I wanted to come home and I would be forgotten about very quickly and would I be able to carry on my career in England so there was quite a big risk attached to going obviously missing family and friends was, was something that, that hit me but also it's not that far away and I knew that a lot would come and visit and boy did they which was great Um, so I was nervous about a couple of things, but on the whole it was mainly excitement and I also, Hannah, I went to high school in Pennsylvania for six months, years ago when I was 18, in my gap year, and America and me have always had this love affair since I was 18. I just love everything about it, pretty much. I love everything about its culture, its positivity, its traditions. The way it celebrates literally every holiday. You're never without some sort of wreath on your door celebrating a different holiday. Um, And when I first moved here, I was very resistant to that in a funny way because I thought, well, I'm not going to go all in. I'm only here for three years. I'm not going to become American. Well. Let me just tell you, I've had three different wreaths on the door in the last month. I've had the Halloween wreath, I've had the autumnal fall wreath, Thanksgiving, and now I've got my Christmas one up. <laughs> I have now become a fully-fledged American, basically. Um, so I was, I was looking forward to all of those things. And so when the opportunity to come to America happened, because I had this inside of me that I, I just had this link to this country, and it was so strong, and it was I guess it had always been a dream to work here and live here, but never something, because I was in football, I never thought that would ever happen. So this was... When I look back at it now and reflect on it, it kind of feels like it was all supposed to happen um, because I'm now so at home here, so happy here, me and my wreaths are just loving life.
0: (laughs) Brilliant, and also even though this is an audio recording, uh, you're wearing a very fetching America branded, uh, top, so
1: yeah, Just back it's, up. Uh, from tar- it's from Target, Hannah. You know, you've got to go to Target and get your get your regular outfits. It has very good clothes, I should
0: say. It's um, it's, yeah. it's a it's a one stop shop for everything. For sure. Um, but you 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 mentioned the um the 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 differences or um your uh your experience of the UK industry, and I was going to ask you a little bit about the similarities and differences in terms of sports presenting in the UK versus the
1: US. Well, I think it's very different today in 2021, but I can only speak about 2013. So, I I've told this story a few times before, Hannah, and it's it's a it's kind of a bit um, sad, really, that I was very close to finishing my career and doing something else when I was at ESPN UK. I had a I'd gone onto Twitter for all of two or three months, but the abuse was so terrible telling me to go back in the kitchen telling me, I don't know, I was talking about like sexual abuse. I mean, sexist, I should say, sexual words use. I mean, just horrible stuff. So I came off Twitter. I was thinking, how am I going to, you know, move forward in this social media world? Because I can't handle that because that's just horrible. Um, I was also finding it really hard at grounds. I mean, for example, at Manchester United, as the pitch side reporter, I would come out of the tunnel after the players had come out to the pitch. And I had to walk from the tunnel at the corner of Old Trafford, along the side of the pitch to in between the dugouts, where I would stand and watch the game and get ready to interview for after the match. And I just walking from the corner to the halfway line you get the wolf whistles you get the chanting you get the comments the shout outs and this was weekly and then it wasn't just Manchester United it was everywhere I went and I was hosting a game at Arsenal once Arsenal against Leeds in the FA Cup and I was pitch side hosting it with two other guys Robbie Savage and Martin Keown presenting the game in the evening and we were right in front of the Leeds United away fans and this is not a very good idea I don't quite know why ESPN did that to me but putting me in front of the away fans and Leeds fans who are notorious for their um vocal chanting. The sexual chanting was so bad that my mum sent me a text message from home saying I can hear it down the microphones, are you okay? And Robbie Savage, who I was working with, who was a very hardened professional and is a real joker, turned to me at one point during a commercial break and he said, are you all right? Do you want me to say anything? I said, no, 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 I'm absolutely fine. Because I'd become a rhinoceros almost. I'd had, I've got this thick skin of all that bounced off me. I'd had it for years. Like I'd had it for probably 10 years this constant. I mean, you couldn't get away with it now, Hannah. People wouldn't allow it now. It's, it's the sexist abuse and the sexist chanting and the sexism in the game then, in my opinion, as bad as racism, homophobia, all sorts of discrimination that we deal with now. And now things have moved on and you wouldn't be allowed to get away with it. But back then, It was something that I never thought I ever had the power to stand up to, ever. No one ever asked me if I was okay in terms of the executives. Nobody ever put a step forward and said, this isn't right, that she's having to deal with this. And obviously every woman in the game has had to deal with that at the time. Not many of us were around, but those who were all had the same experience. So when I got the offer from NBC, it was like an escape as well. I didn't have to deal with this sort of awful, misogynistic abuse came to America and the welcome could not have been better. It could not have been less with any kind of edge. It was the most warm welcome from people on social media. I still was very scarred by my social media experience. I didn't join anything until Instagram in about 2016, but it's just been so lovely. I really have no problems with that. People are just lovely. And when we go and do the fan fests, where we take our show on the road, Hannah, to different cities around the country, and you know, on average, we have about ten thousand fans. I don't have—I've done seven of these, so maybe a hundred thousand people I've come into contact with. Never once have I had a problem with anybody. Couldn't do that in England in 2013. I would have had people saying all sorts of things. So there's been a real change. America is definitely more used to seeing women in sport on television because there are more sports, there are more networks. Um, and so they're just more used to seeing it and I know that back in England it's changed now as well but I can't talk to that from my own personal experience because I left when it was really really bad um, over here it's it's just been I have nothing bad to say about it it's been nothing short of amazing
0: gosh it's um it sounds like you've had quite a profound experience um listening to that and and I guess also pioneering the way I mean you talk about the fact that there weren't that many role models for you at the time when you were starting your career because actually you know looking at your experience you were the first women to do a lot of things so I guess you've kind of charted the course for other women but can you just tell us a little bit more about I mean you talk about being a rhino but it must be quite hard to just constantly have that barrage of criticism or do you just get to the point where actually you know it really is water off a ducks back and i can't imagine being in that position it's it's very difficult to comprehend it
1: it's one it's so funny you know and i think it's one of those things hannah where because i wasn't allowed to really speak up and nobody at that time was listening Mm. and nobody certainly women weren't empowered that was way before the me too movement there was no empowering women to speak their truth Mm. i it never crossed my mind to talk about it or to make a big issue about it the only time it got really a little bit more public was I used to have to go to the, the non league clubs, and I went to Oxford United a lot. And for some reason, they hated Satanta Sports, who I was working for, because every time we showed one of their games, they lost. So they blamed Satanta Sports for this, and therefore me. Uh, and at one point, the Screaming some guy ran from the back of the stand all the way down to the front to scream abuse at me So at at that point the the floor manager working for Satanta said enough's enough and they got me a bodyguard a bodyguard at Like a tiny stadium in Oxford. It's just ridiculous. That was the only time that somebody actually did something about it, but it was really difficult, I suppose, but because it never crossed my, I mean, on reflection, I find it really, I get quite angry about it. I get angry that nobody stood up for me and nobody stood up for all the other women who were doing this. And we certainly weren't given the time and space to talk about it. Um, it was really bad. And, and, and at the time, I just accepted it. I really did. I just thought, well, it would never cross my mind to talk about it, it never cross my mind to complain about it. I thought I'd lose my job. This is just part of the job as a female in, in the industry. So I've just got to take it. And I think now paving the way for others means a lot to me because I'm fairly certain when I say, and there's tons of women in football now in, in the UK and broadcasting, and it's inc- I cannot believe how many there are. It's amazing. Those women, I hope, get less of that. And I, you know, if I've had to take the hits to to, to open the doors and to educate some crazy people um, into now being in a better place where these women don't suffer that, then great, then I'll take that. And I'll feel like I've made a difference. Um, but I do get angry that this was ever allowed to happen. And even now, um, you know, there's a, actually there's a story to be told with all of that and it and it, and it's kind of been forgotten. And it, it was bad. If you ask any female in my position back in those days, same story. Um, it's, it's a really powerful message and as
0: you say, clearly the industry has come on in strides but you know it still feels like something that we're all working on and needing to continue to check ourselves on and you know make sure that we're championing other women as you obviously do um how much do you think women's soccer women's football you know women playing more professionally how much has that also broken through and i mean particularly here in the us women's football has actually, it feels like they're more of a thing than in the UK, maybe I've got that wrong. But but how much do you think that has actually also played into this wider debate around the acceptance of women playing sports, women presenting around sports, women being on an equal footing with men?
1: I think that's a really good point. Here in the US, the US Women's National Team are the most successful international team. And they're much more successful and more popular than the US Men's National Team. Um, And I think that has definitely, allowed America to be a little bit more open to women playing sports and understanding the um, talent required to get to the top so therefore that spreads to other sports so then when they watch the olympic games they're not just interested in the men's racing and the men's this that and the next thing there is genuinely equality i would say from the american audience watching um, various sports in america because the u.s women's national team have blazed the trail and that's just been amazing Um, plus there's a different culture over here women's soccer partly because the u.s women's national team, but US, um, women's soccer is played in schools and has been for years. I mean, when I came over to my boarding school in Pennsylvania, I played soccer. It was the first time I'd ever played it in my life. And they said to me, but you're from England. I said, I know, but you don't play football as a woman in England back then. Um, and I think I tried for 10 years. I was often the women's football reporter, the England reporter, the England presenter for all the women's England women's games, but they were always the last sort of priority of every broadcaster I worked for, it would be like, okay, we need to fill three minutes. Rebecca, why don't you go and interview the striker who plays for Arsenal in England, and then we'll fill the three minutes in our show. Or let's get all the females to work in the office, they can go and work on the women's football. It was always the last priority. The shift, and I really think the Me Too movements had a lot to do with it. The shift in the way that women have now got a lot more of a foothold in sport and in the world, let's be honest. I feel like we have more power today still not enough, but more today than we've ever had, happened, I think, about three, four years ago. And a lot to do with broadcast companies in the UK really bought into the England women's team. They've understood equality. They've understood there is a desire to watch these women play. Um, that, I, I still cannot believe it, that the women's team are on ITV live. I mean, it was like tucked away onto Satanta Sports when I was doing it. On a cold night with like no a lot of people watching but no one ever really giving it the time of day from the broadcast perspective it was kind of when the broadcast partners bought the rights from the FA to show the England men's team the women's team rights were tagged on like okay you can show Beckham and everything but you've got to make sure you show like at least one England women's team a year they're like oh all right well now it's its own thing it's it's its own very lucrative deal because there is an audience for them. I don't know why everyone's so bloody surprised. There is an audience for these women. They're talented athletes. I can't do it. They're incredible at what they do. So the breakthrough has happened and it is only going to grow. Um, and, it's, and it's something I've got to be honest, I never saw coming, in the, certainly in the UK, never.
0: And I was gonna ask you what you think the, the, the future tra- trajectory looks like for women's football
1: in the uk i think it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger there is so much room for growth um the money that's going into the game is brilliant i think it helps that we're in an age now where we're all trying to do the right thing and that means raise equality and raise awareness of maybe areas of the world that have not been pushed to the front um you cannot push the premier league anymore it's fine it's running itself it's fine these other areas need help and women's football domestically in terms of the, of the teams are now the place to be. If you're a woman's player, a female player in the US, you go to England and play in the WSL. It's a, it's a lucrative place to go, good crowds. So for me, it's gonna get bigger and bigger. I'm not sure I'll live to see the day it rivals a men's game. But to be honest, Hannah, 20 years ago, I never thought in a million years it would be where it is now. So who knows, but possibly 50 years time, you might, get, you might get a league at the level of the men's game. Everything just takes time. It's a generational thing. Every time a generation passes, great progress is made. But it's, these things take generations, you know? It's been a generation since it was nothing. And now it's something. So another generation, it's going to be something even more. So I'm super positive about that. It'd be amazing to get to the point where, you know, people are talking about, the
0: amount of millions that, you know, for X deal, for, you know, Y female footballer, and a bit of parity around salaries as well. Yeah. Well, as you say, we're on a journey, but we're going in the right direction, which is really positive. Yeah. Um, and I was interested actually in what you were saying about the, the relationship between fans and broadcasters, and, and I guess it's kind of chicken and egg, you know, in a way, fans are demanding to see more broadcasters, are wanting to give fans what they want I mean from what you're saying it sounds like that relationship has been a little bit more I was going to use the word mature in the US but maybe that's not the case maybe it's not that it's maturity maybe it's that fans actually here for lots of different reasons are just demanding a broader set of you know a more diverse
1: set of options to watch. Yeah, I I think so. And I think the other thing about the States, Hannah, is that it's not just about football. Football is, is the fourth biggest sport here. The NFL, the NBA and Major League Baseball are the top three. And now football is overtaking the hockey as well, ice hockey. So football is number four. I think that there is a love of sport in the United States, which is different from the love of sport in England. The love of sport in England is really football. It's really football with a little bit of cricket, a little bit of rugby, a little bit of the Olympics, but really it's football. Yeah. The U.S. has this. It, it, people talk about I'm really into sports in America. That's the way they say it. And they mean all of it. They pretty much mean all of it. And so I think that there is this insatiable appetite in the U.S. for all the sport, all the time, across all the networks. I mean, the deals, the money being paid by the broadcast companies to show the likes of the nfl and even the premier league nbc just spent nearly three billion dollars to show the premier league You don't do that unless there is an appetite and an audience And I think in this country because it's such a huge country and it's got an incredible diverse makeup of people And also the culture over here sport is not just about the professionals. It's about your kid I mean, I don't know I about you but Having a child in this country, yeah. are they doing soccer? Are they doing tennis? Where everyone's, it's after school, everyone's doing a sport. Can they get to college on, on a scholarship? What's happening in the local town? And the, the facilities are amazing and it's, and everything is geared around, it feels to me as a mom, everything is geared around sport for your child, which is no bad thing. And there are parts of it, which I don't love, but it's no bad thing that we are it, introduce competition, fitness, you know, enjoyment, outdoor as much as possible. And I think that's different in the UK. I mean, the weather helps in some areas of America for sure. The facilities, the money, the priority, the priority of America is so much more based towards physical activity and education than it is in the UK. You know, partly because it's the size of the country. We've got all this space here where they can put up all these amazing facilities and taxes are pretty high. It's certainly where I live. And so they spend a lot of money on these. I cannot get over and the facilities available for free to my child if right now he wants to go down and hit a ball into a goal. You can't find a goal in Ealing, where I grew up, for love nor money, let alone a little green grass patch that probably says no ball games allowed. Here in America, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this and this, five different options you can do in your town for free. It's a different set of priorities over here.
0: Yeah, and what does your son, does your son play football? And is do we
1: dare ask if he's a Crystal Palace fan. <laughs> well, at the age of five and three quarters, we are a little fickle with who we support. We are Crystal Palace, but we happen to have Brentford because that's who daddy played for. And we also like Southampton because that's who daddy worked for. And we also like Manchester City because they win. So we do have a number of soccer shirts at the moment, which drives mummy a little bit mad. <laughs> but he's obsessed with football. He has soccer training today, he has soccer training tomorrow. Um, yeah, he he loves it. and And it's so easy over here for them to to get involved in in football training it's 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 brilliant and i love seeing it because obviously it's it's all about my life my husband's life that's our life so he's very much a part of that now wow
0: that's very cool um and finally uh predictions for the premier league (sighs) (laughs) i couldn't couldn't finish an interview with you rebecca and not ask you
1: I know. It's really it's it's really hard. I'm going to stick with who I went for at the beginning of the season, and I predicted Chelsea would win the league. And I know they're top, so I'm looking very clever right now, but I would not be surprised at all if Liverpool or Man City won it. I'm going to stick with Chelsea. I just think that Thomas Tuchel has pretty much not put a foot wrong in the last six to eight nine months that he's been there oh no nearly a year actually he's been there in January I think he arrived he's basically flawless won the Champions League he's done brilliant things with them I think that in the end they're going to be just strong enough they have more goals in the team I think and a really good defense so I'm going to go with Chelsea to win the league and I think for relegation I'm going to go with I think I've, I've, I might have changed this a couple of times but I'm going to go with Norwich, Watford. Sorry, I'm really sorry. Oh, I'm going to end you right now. I know, and I, and I fear for Newcastle, and I fear for, I fear for Newcastle yeah. at the moment. Well, I hope you could be proven
0: wrong, but it's been... So, so do long.
1: I, for your sake.
0: <laughs> Rebecca, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. It's been um, incredibly inspiring hearing about your journey, and you know, um, turning your struggles into pioneering the way for other women. And um, we wish you all the very best and um, good luck to Crystal Palace this weekend. I can't remember who you're playing, but actually you've got an evening game coming up, haven't you? They're
1: playing right now against Leeds in the other room. So I'm going to go and find out. I fear when I open the door, something bad's happened, but we will see. They're playing right now, so we'll see.
0: As a Watford fan, it pains me to say best of luck, but best of luck. And you, and you, Hannah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. If you'd like to hear more about the work of the British Consulate, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UK in New York. Thank you for listening.